morning. My name is Jeff Shear. My wife Marie and I moved to Cedar Rapids about three, just over three years ago so we could be near our children and our families who live in Coralville. Um, before that, I was what was called a, a second career pastor. Uh, I began pastoral ministry in 1992 at the age of 39 and served for nearly 30 years before moving here to Cedar Rapids. Now, I have a disclaimer to start things off with. I, I, con- I contracted COVID for the very first time early in December, and after that I got this winter crud thing going with the hacking cough, so hopefully we won't be distracted or disturbed by that. But so if my message is poor quality, we'll just blame it on my illness, all right? All right? If it's all right, if it's good, we'll give praise to the Holy Spirit for that. In other words, I'm trying to dis- avoid all responsibility for this message. <laughs> when I was asked to uh, preach today, um, uh, uh, something almost instantly popped into my mind, and that was return to your first love. So that, that told me two things. One, I should accept the invitation to preach today. And second, it gave me my text for the message. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Um, but before that, let's, let's, let's join our hearts in prayer. Gracious Lord, we give thanks this day that we can be gathered here together as your people, this body of Christ, here at Cornerstone. I ask now, Lord, that the words from my mouth be your truth. And Lord, I pray that those who are listening will listen not only with their ears, but also with their minds and their hearts so that they too will discern the truth through the power of your Holy Spirit. Well, I pray that what we hear this day, while it may not apply to every one of us individually, will be heard, will be stored away, but will also be used to help us to continue to grow in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ as we live our daily lives. And so, Lord, we seek your continued blessing on us at this time as we hear your word this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know there are some people, when they hear the word revelation, get a little tingly feeling. They're like, oh, prophecy. Pro-. No, no prophecy today, okay? What we're going to look at is, is the first, uh, cha- second chapter of, of uh, Revelation, which is writing to a specific church there. But before I get into that, I would like to look, take a look at Revelation, the very opening of the book of Revelation, the first few verses there. So let's turn to there. Revelation is the very last book of the Bible, so you can just get back there and get there. I think we'll also have it on the screen here. The opening part of the book of Revelation describes what it is that, that we're going to be reading here. And so we see at Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, these words. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So we learn a couple of things here from this this opening uh, verses of, of the book. 
And that one is this book is being dictated by Jesus Christ. It's the word of Jesus Christ who's being shared. And it's being shared to John. Now, John is the is the, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. He's the author of the Gospel of John. He's the author of the first, second, and third letters of John. But he's also the one who's been given the responsibility of writing down the words to the book of Revelation. So this is serious stuff. This is Jesus Christ dictating what it is John is supposed to write. Now, the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation are written specifically to seven churches in the Asia Minor area. Now, it's believed that once Paul was martyred in, uh, in Rome for his faith, that the, the Apostle John moved up into kind of like Paul's old territory, Asia Minor, what we common, what's known today as, as Turkey in that region. And he started serving and ministering to those churches that Paul once had. And so he's familiar with these churches. He knows who they are. So in the, in the second and third chapters of, of the book of Revelation, we have seven letters to seven churches. Now, it's to seven specific churches, but the meaning goes beyond that, I believe. So let's, let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Get my page turned here. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus Christ. I know of your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in each of these seven letters to the seven churches, Christ is writing to them personally about things that are going on at that time in those churches. But as we see at verse 7 there, it said, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we can take these seven churches, not only as the specific churches of that time, but also as representative of churches everywhere and all times. And so it's a beneficial thing for us to read these verses, read these letters, and kind of compare where we are with where those churches were at that time. Now, in this particular letter, to this particular church, church at Ephesus, now we're, we should be familiar with the church at Ephesus. Paul wrote a letter to them, and uh, they're in the book of Acts quite a bit. So we, we, Jesus is writing to this church at this time, and what he's telling them is, you know, you've got some great strengths. You do some things really good. If you look at verses 2 and 3, he lays that out for them. He says, I know your deeds. It's something for us to remember as a church, isn't it? That Christ knows our deeds. I know your deeds. Your hard work and your perseverance. 
Another word there is endurance, your endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. So their doctrine is good. They're strong. In fact, again, in verse 6, it tells us that, but you have all this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we're not real familiar with what the Nicolaitan heresy was, but we could probably just put in the words there, false teachers. All right? I know that you have refused these false teachers. So we hear here a church that is strong. They persevere, the endurance, they experienced hardships, they, 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 they test the, those who call themselves apostles, they root out false teaching and they don't allow it. That all sounds like really great. But there's something that can happen to us when we get into that defensive mode. We, we experience some of that today. We, we have this culture around us that's so ungodly. And, and, you know, it encroaches upon us. It encroaches upon our lives and our practices and things, our workplaces. And, you know, what can happen is, is that we can get into a defensive mode. You know, throw up the walls, you know. Be ready for anything and hard. And you've got to get a little hard-hearted to do that. And that may be what, be what happened at this church in Ephesus. They're under persecution. They're under attack. And in the course of that, they, they have to really get tough on their, on, their, on their doctrine, on their discipline. And, and in the course of that, they may have lost something. Jesus tells them what it is in verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. What had happened in the midst of this persecution and this endurance, they have, they have lost their first love, Jesus tells them. And that first love could be their love for God and their love for each other. In other words, they're doing all the right things, but they have forgotten why they do them. They have forgotten why they do them. And this is serious, Jesus tells them. You, you don't have that loving relationship with each other anymore. And that affects your relationship with God. We know that from our scriptures, don't we? That how we love one another is a reflection of our love for God and his love for us. They're connected. We can't disassociate them. A lot of the scriptures talk about that. And so here this church is, and Jesus is pointing out to them, boy, you're, you're in trouble. Because you're no longer loving one another as you did at first. But there is a solution to this, though, too. They're, they're not left without hope. As he tells them in verse 5, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Repent and do the things you did at first. There's the solution to the problem. They need to recognize that, first of all, this is a problem with them. Jesus Christ himself is telling them that it is. And then they have to repent of that. They have to change their behavior. Change their attitude. He says, if you repent and do the things you did at first, returning to your first love, he says, you'll be okay. 
Well, the evidence is, praise the Lord, that they, they took this seriously. They heard these words from John as he wrote them, and they said, yes, that's right. And they did repent, and they did change. And writers from the second century talk about Ephesus being this wonderful church, thriving and growing. Now, I don't think God gave me this passage so I can say, hold up cornerstone to this and say, look what's happening here. I mean, one of the reasons Marie and I began attending this church was because of the things that God praises about this church at Ephesus. That this church preaches and teaches the truth and is bold in that proclamation. And they don't shy away from it. We don't shy away from it. We continue to do that. And I, we sense the, the sense of loving here, the, the fellowship, the, the gathering of the family of God. And so we, 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 not long after we moved here, we began attending here. And then not long after that, we became members here. So I don't, think, I don't think the problem is, is that God wanted me to lift this up today to say, oh, look at you, Cornerstone, you're, you're losing that love and feeling. <laughs> Some of you know the righteous brothers, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the reason at all. It's a good reminder for us because we live in this culture in which we're, it's not going to get less. We're going to continually feel this pressure around us. We are going to continue to feel more persecution where we're going to need more endurance and surviving hardships. But that, uh, this is a warning for us that in the midst of that, we can't get it, that defensive mode. We still need to reach out. We still need to care. We need, still need to forgive. We still need to love one another in the midst of all that. So it's a good reminder for that. But I think God also brought this message to me because of that, of that verse uh, at two, in 2.4. Two, two, Revelation 2.4, and that was kind of the verse that triggered this off for me. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And so he's calling them to return to their first love. Now, when I thought of that, I thought, well, hey, it's New Year's Eve. You know, New Year's Day is tomorrow. So why don't I title my message, A New Year's Resolution, Return to First Love. And I think that we can take this passage from the book of Revelation and certainly apply it to our church, but I think we can apply it to other parts of our lives too. So I want to look at it in three parts of our lives today. How can we return to our first love in our marriages? How can we return to our first love in our church? And how can we return to our first love in our faith? So I want to talk about marriages first. In the, in the book of Matthew, uh, we're told, Jesus tells us about marriage. And I have to wait for the verse to come up because I don't want to be turning pages. Where Jesus is talking and he says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of creation, the creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So God has made the two one. Now, I think of marriages, and I, you know, I think of people I know and whatnot. And at this point, I'm thinking about people who have been married for a longer time. You know? And uh, I've observed something in their behavior with that. Now, they're very, very, being very true to the truth and the doctrine. They, they, they are still together. They are married. They are still one. They're doing all the right things, but maybe... Maybe they have lost their first love. 
I, I observe in some couples something that happens. Um, there's something we teach our children at a very young age, and it's something we continue to do even with strangers. But I've seen in some longer married couples that they've stopped doing it for each other. Anybody have any guesses? We teach our children to say please and thank you. We will go to a restaurant and a several and we'll say please and thank you to them. But I've observed that some couples who have married a long time, they don't do that anymore. They just take for granted what their spouse is doing for them. They've stopped saying please and thank you to each other. Now, there's a, a more underlying thing going on there. And Paul wrote about it, I think, in, in Ephesians, right before that passage is where he talks about husbands and wives. Uh, we go to that Ephesians verse. Or he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, submitting to one another means that we are looking for what pleases the other person. And sometimes, I think, in a long marriage, one of the things is we start looking at what pleases us. We, we, we forget about this submitting to one another. Because submitting one another means I don't look at what pleases me. I look at pleases them. I remember when Marie and I, uh, Marie and I had a whirlwind romance. We met in March, had our first date in April, and got married in August. And so as we were having our first date, preparing for our first date, it was a dinner and a movie, a pretty traditional, pretty traditional date. Um, but a few, now, we were living in Minneapolis at the time, and I, didn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't grown up in Minneapolis, so I wasn't that familiar with it. And so I, I grew up in a small town, uh, a little bit farther north. And so before our first date, what I did was a couple of days before is I drove down and found the restaurant I was going to take her to. I'd never been there before. And then I drove to the, find the theater where I was taking her because I'd never been to there before either. In other words, I was very concerned about what she would think of me as I took her on this date. I didn't think she was with some loser who didn't know his way around town. <laughs> and as we dated continued, and this is one of those things about remember, remember when you were first dating? Remember when you were first married? Were you thinking about what you wanted? Or were you trying to impress the, the one you were dating? Were you trying to impress this new spouse of yours? Were you looking for ways to please them? Were you trying to discover what it was they liked so you could provide that? How much of it was about you? Probably not much. So the, this change of attitude, this submitting to one another can somehow through the process of marriage get lost. And I think that's reflected in this stopping saying please and thank you. Because that's a reflection of an attitude. It's a reflection of assumption. It's a reflection, a change of attitude, a change of what we're looking for in our relationship. So we start looking for what we want rather than what they want. 
So we can do a couple of things. If we find ourselves in that position where our, 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 we've, we've lost what we had in our first love, and we can return to that first love. Now, this is a generality. I mean, it's not true of all circumstances and situations. But for the most part, I think it is true. I've dealt with couples who have reached this point of, we've grown apart. I don't love them anymore. And we've worked through that attitude about what happened. Are you still showing gratitude for your spouse and what they do for you? Is your attitude still one of wanting to please them rather than yourselves? And are you praying for each other? Are you asking for God to bless them this day? Or you this day? I submit that if we would just deal with these three simple things that can happen in our daily lives... Saying please and thank you again and mean it. Seek out submission to the other by seeking out what it is would make them happy, would make them joyful, and praying for God's blessings on them. I really think we could do that, and that would help us then return to our first love. Remember those days when you were first dating or the first years of your marriage. Now, some of you are in the midst of raising children. I have a word of caution for you. Who was there in your life before the children? Your spouse. Who's going to be there in your life once the children grow up and move away? Your spouse. I have seen some parents make the mistake of replacing the one who should be the priority in their marriage, their spouse, with their children. And that's wrong. You have not been made one with your children. You have been made one with your spouse. They should be the priority in your relationship. That doesn't mean you ignore or have no responsibilities for your children. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you need to make sure that the priority one is still the priority one. Need to make time for your spouse while you're raising your children and not replacing your spouse with your children. I think that's one of the things that happens in the empty nest syndrome is that when a parent has invested their priorities into their children, suddenly they're back with their spouse and they say, I don't know this person. Who are they? We've grown apart. I don't love them anymore. And I think it's because we haven't maintained that priority during those years of raising our children. And those of you who don't have children yet, perhaps you're dating someone or looking forward to dating someone or your first years of your marriage, these are the times to remember. These are your first love moments. Some of them are pretty idealistic and maybe not realistic, but, but for the most part, what God is saying to us, as he told this church at Ephesus, is you don't forget this. Life's going to change. It's going to have its challenges. It's going to have its uh, hardships. It's going to have its, its persevering moments. But don't let those things take away from your love for one another. Hold on to that. Remember that. Cherish that because life's changing. It's going to be different. Perhaps this is what photo albums are for. Those of you who don't know what photo albums are, they were things. <laughs> to go back and look at those moments, 
Remember them and then reinstill them into your life. God told this church that, you know, you're, you're at this point, but you're, it's not lost forever. You can repent and turn back. The same thing is true for our marriages. We can be at a point, but we can repent, we can remember, and we can change and return to our first love. We can also return to our first love with our church. One of the things in the pastoral ministry that was always a wonder to, to enjoy was when someone new starts attending the church. To see their uh, uh, joy at finding a place that they can, they can worship, that they can you know, hear the word of God, the truth of God, spoken and shared. And then they become part of that. And uh, the Bible gives us a couple of examples of how we're supposed to see the church. The first one comes from where? Comes from book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Uh, Paul is inspired to describe us as a body, as a body of Christ. Now in Galatians, he uses a different description, but one that's just as important. We look at Galatians. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So here's two expressions of of church. We are a body and we are a family. Now, as you look at your bodies, think about your bodies. You can do that for a few seconds here right now. Just consider your bodies. What would you voluntarily give up? Hey, we got to cut off part of your body today. Which one is it going to be? Now, most of us have families where we could say, you know, if you want to remove somebody from the family, that's the one. You know, take them out of here. You can't do that, can you? No. No. Family's family. They're all who we are. So uh, God is using these two descriptions for us for the body of Christ. Now, I said one of the greatest things I experienced in, in ministry was when new people come and the excitement they have of being part of a body. Much like that early years of dating or, or your you know, early years of a marriage, you know, there's that excitement, there's that thrill, there's that, that sense of, of just I'm where I belong, you know. This is my family now. You know, great, that's great. I'm part of this body now. But then I've, I've also experienced the other end of that. Someone who's been part of a church for a long time. And, and they've forgotten that first love. You know, perhaps they've been through some trials and hardships and challenges. And, and, and their attitude toward the church is changing. You know, I talked about how what's so important. And what was so important to the church at Ephesus was is that they were teaching the truth. They're holding on to the truth. They're protecting the truth from heresy. And sometimes we can forget that that's the important part about being a church. And we can wander off into some other silliness. I have experienced people who have left the church because someone offended them. And it's like, how many years have you been here? How many good things have happened here for you? How long have you enjoyed spiritual growth here? And yet you're going to let one offensive remark turn you away? You're going to cut off your finger voluntarily? You're going to lop off your foot? 
You're going to disown your family? One offensive remark, one decision leadership makes. Taking the pews out and putting in chairs. You know, you run across a lot of things. You put drums in the sanctuary. You know, the attitude has changed. It's no longer that first love that they experienced and the love that they've experienced all those years in being there. But there's hope for them. If you're in that position right now or you're considering leaving Cornerstone for some reason that you think is valid and real, consider what you're doing. The doctrine here is still true. It's faithful. So what are you thinking about leaving for? Repent. Return to your first love. Well, there's legitimate reasons for leaving a church. We've got a group of people who are going to be leaving here next week probably. Risen Hope Church is going to start. But rather than kind of think of that as a divorce, it's more like birthing a child. <laughs> they go with our blessing. But to leave a church should be a serious thing. It should be serious because you're part of the body here. You are part of the family here. Return to your first love. Remember it. Rejoice in it. Another place we can look at returning to our first love is in our faith itself. So going back to look at... Uh, 2.4 again, as we, we saw it earlier. Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. And he's talking about relationships there. He's talking about his, their relationship with God and their relationship with the others of that body. In other words, what your attitude has changed. You're doing the right things for the wrong, but not for the right reasons. Sometimes we can be going to church like that, but we could also be living our faith out like that too. We could be going through the motions. We could just be doing it because we've always done it. You could be serving in ministry. You could be a faithful attender of worship, reading your Bible every day, you know, all those kinds of things. But is your love still there? Jesus in the book of Matthew talks about some children. We could go to that one. He called the little child to him and placed the child amongst them, his disciples, amongst his disciples. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't think Jesus meant that, we, uh, you know, Knowledge-wise and intellectual-wise, we're supposed to stay as children. In fact, the Bible tells us that's not the expectation. We're supposed to get off the milk and get on to the meat. We're supposed to grow and mature in our faith. We're supposed to grow in our knowledge of the Lord and of God. So what is it he's talking about here when he talks about uh, like these little children? I think he's talking about how little children can entirely put their faith and trust in you. In God, in Jesus. They don't have all the doctrine down. They don't know all the theology about it going on. They don't know about substantiation. They don't know about 
sanctification. Or, they don't know any of that. We're supposed to learn about that. But what they do know is love and trust. I think God calls us to hold on to that trust, that trust that we place completely in him and in his word to carry us through our entire lives. But sometimes we are, we're getting so educated, we're getting so you know, knowledgeable that, that we start nitpicking at things. We start losing sight of our first love. God isn't going to care about whether we know, if we memorize the entire Bible, if we know all the different various theories of theology, if we know all the various denominational standpoints. What he cares about is, do we still love him? Do we still trust him? Do we still trust in his word? That's returning to our first love. We declare it when we're baptized. What is it we're asked about when we're baptized? Do you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior? Yes, I trust in him. Do you promise to follow him as Lord? Yes, I believe he is the truth. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. We need to return to our first love. Every time we come to this communion table, every time we have communion, it's a reminder for us about our faith, because that is the foundation that will also embrace us in our relationship with our church and in our relationship with our spouses. To trust and obey the Lord God and his word. So New Year's resolution for you. Hopefully it will be a priority for, uh, in your lives, these things. To remember that we need to, we need to remember, first of all, we need to remember to recall. And we need to return to our first love. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we give thanks once again for your word. We thank you for the guidance and direction it gives us. We pray, Lord, that there is somebody here who has not yet experienced that first love of a Savior. This, this Christmas season that we're celebrating, the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's someone here who has not yet embraced that, accepted that, and surrendered their lives to it. We pray that this is the day your Holy Spirit convicts them of their need. Their need to have their sins forgiven. And Jesus promises to forgive them if they will believe in him. So Lord, we lift them up to you and pray for their surrender this day. We pray for us as believers to be, remember our first love first love of our spouse, our first love of our church, but most of all, our first love of you and how excited we were when we first experienced that. May that continue to be the foundation of our lives this day. In Jesus' name.